0: Hey, it's Dan Bach. Before we get to the podcast, I need to tell you about my friends over at Blue Apron. I certainly hope you give these guys a look. They are the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the entire country. And I'll tell you what, the one thing I love about Blue Apron is it allows you to eat healthier. And they got some incredible menu items and set a pretty affordable price too. Less than $10 per person per meal. And Blue Apron is going to deliver seasonal recipes, pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals right in the comfort of your home it's easy i know guys you're like i don't cook well guess what step-by-step instructions make it easy so even the most novice cooks out there can figure it out variety got lots of new recipes each week you can choose from and of course very flexible some weeks you might be traveling you can't do blue apron other weeks you know what i'm going to be around want to spend more time with the wife girlfriend or family Blue Apron is a good way to eat healthy and uh, have a lot of fun. So if you haven't checked them out, make sure you do so. You got to check them out by going to blueapron.com/fantasyfix. And here's what they got going: this week's menu is there, and then you'll be able to get your first three meals for free. And you're like, I gotta get pay for shipping though, right? Ah, uh, wrong. With free shipping, blueapron.com/fantasyfix for three free meals with free shipping. You're gonna love how good it feels, tastes. Uh, to create that home-cooked meal with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Blueapron.com slash Fantasy Fix for three free meals, free shipping. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Roto-Grinders presents the Daily Fantasy Fix Podcast. Dan Bach talks to the biggest personalities in DFS, delivers commentary on the industry's most important topics, and gives you the advice you need to help build winning lineups. Both the salary and the matchup are just too good. If you are not playing him in your head-to-head games, you are just going to lose.
1: You didn't really think we were going to get rid of that, did you?
0: Here's your host, the one and only Dan Bach. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to another edition here of the Roto-Grinders Daily Fantasy Fix Podcast. And excited to talk to my next guest here today on the show. He is no stranger to Roto-Grinders, he only helped found it. And uh, let's face it, anytime you win a million dollars and you work for this company, you're going to be coming on this podcast, even if you are the CEO. So, super excited, super proud to have Pal Spears uh, join us here today to talk about an unbelievable weekend. Uh, over there in on draftkings where uh pinked Cal, welcome my man what's going on Dan thanks for having me
1: it has been uh it's been a long time since i have been on but yeah i mean i I think with this occasion I have to make my uh make my second ever appearance on the roto grinders daily fantasy six podcast
0: yeah coming out of the shadows a little bit and uh unbelievable weekend and uh I mean has it sunk in i mean uh, that you won a million dollars playing dfs like i remember i was with you before and i think it was one of the FanDuel finals where uh we saw t speedo and we said hey give us the you know show us the uh the phone with the one million dollar uh you know in the balance like did you take a screenshot of that i mean come on man what's it like
1: i took quite a few screenshots <laughs> Like as as the team climbed, uh, took quite a few screenshots. Um, I was trying to text him to Sheena, my girlfriend, to tell her to come to the bar and hang out because I had a sweat, and uh, my internet was actually terrible, so she never received any of those screenshots. Um, so she had no idea until afterwards. But um, yeah, I've got some screenshots. Uh, it has not sunk in yet. I don't I don't know if it ever really does. It's 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 kind of crazy that this like fun. Uh, hobby awesome game that we play also has these crazy prizes that you know I'm always chasing and I'm always uh, it's it's always a motivating factor but then actually winning one that big like it's it's pretty crazy
0: yeah and it's it's one thing to you know walk into a live final and know you've got a chance to win a million dollars or a couple million dollars you've been in that position haven't won it but uh, it's another thing just to be on a random kind of Sunday afternoon where, I mean, let's face it. You've probably thrown thousands of entries into Millionaire Makers over thousands. the years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard. Like, I mean, you're going against hundreds of thousands of entries. And then, let's face it, you probably, I mean, what, at what point in time in the afternoon did you, like, think, like, oh, my God, like, I really have a shot at this?
1: I, I tried I tried not to get too invested in that part to where I was scrolling down to see, you know, what combinations were behind me because it, well, I think I got into first place on that touchdown right before halftime. And um, I assumed that there was just an, an amazing amount of teams behind me. Like Dak Prescott already had a few touchdowns at that point. I, I figured I was – in a very likely position to get past. So I didn't want to start scrolling down and, and looking at all the combinations that could get me. So I was trying to just, you know, play it, play it cool, had a couple of drinks and impatiently waiting for that halftime to end. And then when it got to, when he crossed the hundred yard mark, um, it was pretty early in the third quarter or, or sometime in the third quarter, I think, When he passed the hundred yard mark. Yeah. That's when I really started to think, <laughs> like, like scroll down a bit and see what else was coming after me.
0: And uh, you know, you're a you're a guy who I know, like you're a you're a bar sweater. Like you know, you go out, I think on Sundays and watch football. I anything mean, you don't have the package at home or anything. So, um, what was it like, kind of being in that public setting, knowing what was on the line? Like I, I think, I think he said like cruising <laughs> to victory was with you, but like. Like, did the people around you realize, like, what was going on? Did you have other people, you know, following along? How did that whole sweat process play out? I I think, uh, like, when when something went my way for whatever team
1: I was rooting for, I think the fans of that team in the bar were, like, cheering with me. And then they're like, oh, he's our buddy. He's also a Cowboys fan. (laughs) And then I cheer for the Packers. The next play, and I, I think people just got confused. And then at the end, when I was like, you know, jumping for joy, I I, I think people finally caught on to it. But but yeah, I mean, I so like I was um, i been traveling last week, so I didn't I didn't have like a lot of time to play. I was actually in Las Vegas, We can't even enter teams. I was tired when I got home Saturday, and um, didn't play a ton this weekend. I, put, I mean, I put thirty teams in. Which is actually less than what I would, would normally put in. And uh, the game's locked at, at twelve my time. And we're doing results db live now. Mm-hmm. We're still you know, very much in the process of getting that off the ground. So once the game's locked, I just got into our results D B Slack channel and was chatting with everybody and, and watching the tournaments as they went live. And um, you know, once that looked good I I checked my phone. Brian was going to the bar. I met a few other guys at the bar and brought my iPad with me in case I needed to make any late swaps. But, I mean, it was just the most casual going to the bar and having a few beers day as it could be. And about four hours
0: later, my heart was pounding and I was sweating a million dollars. We'll get to the lineup in a moment, but I want to stay in the moment of the sweat here for a second, in particular that final play where um, Ezekiel Elliott, let's face it, you know, Zeke and, you know, there was Zeke and then there was Dez and then there was some Prescott there kind of at the end. Um, That final play, saw some video of it, and you didn't, you looked like you were going to throw up, like, to be honest with you. Like, how did that, how was that feeling when you saw the fumble Ruski and then you saw Zeke literally start running, like, Nobody near him for about twenty yards. Uh, I mean that had to have been just just crazy. It was pain it was painful.
1: I I don't I think I I think I had six points on the Zeke team, maybe it was five, so I knew he needed a long way to go, but uh, the the play like those are just like comical every time they happen it seems like maybe they'll last five seconds maybe ten seconds and from my perspective looking back on it that play lasted like thirty seconds it was awful gut wrenching to watch and then when Zeke got the ball I think that's the point where I just turned around and couldn't watch anymore but yeah it uh I, I just made the uh, ending that much better when they finally fumbled it
0: uh let's get to the team here and then we're going to talk some other dfs stuff and um you know i've got you know again results db uh, free plug for that you can go through and very simply just put in cal's name and we can see the exposure of players and the 30 teams he put in we can see the winning lineup that he made and uh it's kind of interesting to uh to you know look at you know a couple of these things here and uh The one thing that, you know, there's a lot of talk about George Kittle. You know, he was on your winning roster, 21 fantasy points at the tight end spot. And uh, I look, though, like your exposure to Kittle was not crazy high. You only had him, um, I believe, on three of your 30 lineups. So you were at, you know, 10%. So you didn't, I mean, obviously that's overweight on the field, but it's not like you legitimately went all in. Um, Talk about that play, that process, and... You know, I know you consume a lot of content here on RG, and uh, was there something that stood out in terms of that play to, to get him into your lineup?
1: It was, so the, the
0: only guy that I had, like,
1: planted the flag on was Aaron Jones. He was someone that I knew that I wanted to be high on in, you know, in, in games where I played the Dallas-Green Bay games and, and in games where I didn't. Uh, on this lineup, like this was a point in the morning. You know, just woke up Sunday morning, and at some point, I was I was uh, consciously trying to get Odell, AJ Green, and Antonio Brown, all three on the same team, and that's that's how George Kittle happened. It was just like, how do I afford to do this? And just like looking through my options. Uh no, I remember Silva specifically talking about how George Kittle ran forty four routes in week four. And um, you know, men price tied in, perfect correlation play with a men price quarterback or a near men price hoyer, and then I could run it back with Dante Moncrief at I think thirty nine hundred. So I was able to get this a pretty good upside correlation play. And still get those three big wide receivers and not tank at running back. I could get Melvin Gordon and Aaron Jones. So, um, I don't know. You know, every time I build a lineup, it makes sense to me. And this was just another one that made sense to me. And it, it just happened to hit really hard.
0: No, and it and it actually, I mean, the it's frustrating as hell sometimes. But it's also encouraging because... I looked at that lineup, and I and I said to myself, like, that's a very buildable team. Like, you have the Hoyer-Kittle combo, which allows you expensive wide receivers. You get some exposure there to Green Bay, um, and, you know, you're going to be way overweight, or you're going to be very contrarian with Green, Beckham, and Brown, which, let's face it, those guys were not highly owned on weeks where, you know, Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley were, were, were super, you know, chalk here this week. So... Um, like I look at that lineup and it 's like that 's a believable lineup you know sometimes there 's somebody in there that doesn 't even make sense but you know a three percent owned or one percent owned George Kittle made a lot of sense when you 're running Hoyer and the fact that tight end really sucked this week uh it was a believable play, and you know it absolutely is a believable lineup you know in my eyes and yeah it's, it's
1: yeah uh, see. It's a victory for the correlation plays, thought out lineups, because every once in a while you see those crazy ones win the million and you start thinking, maybe I should play three wide receivers without their quarterback, too.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, you didn't uh, you know, it it was a well-constructed lineup that, you know, I think, again, was not kind of out of the realm of of possibilities of, you know, having a big day. Now you're right. You planted the flag on, on Jones. He was in 46% of your lineups. That was uh, upwards of like 41% over the field. Cause he was about 5% owned. Uh, the one guy I don't really see you having a lot here was Todd Gurley. And I believe Le'Veon Bell. I don't see either of those two guys much at all here on a bell was 23% so you weren't totally off on him but I don't see Todd Gurley anywhere did you was that a conscious fade for you this week in three of yeah three Uh, of 30 so 10% so way underweight on him
1: yeah I would say it wasn't it wasn't that like I I hated the play but it just didn't go high enough up my list that that I had any interest in it um I, I, I by no means thought that he was going to you know, continue the obscene pace that, that he'd been on against the Seahawks defense, divisional game. Uh, it just didn't seem like the great spot that, that a lot of other people had. So he didn't, and he was expensive, so he didn't make it uh, too high up my list. You know, I, I still would have played him if I could afford him. But whenever I got up into that range, I was probably going to find a way to get to Bell anyways.
0: Yeah, and uh the other guy that was interesting that you faded who hit and who was, I think, the chalkiest guy on the slate, at least maybe even at wide re- certainly at wide receiver, T. Y. Hilton, which is interesting because you had the the San Francisco side, you did run it back with Moncrief. Let's face it, he didn't uh he didn't win you the tournament at only six fantasy points in the game, but um seemed like uh, you know, you were you were light on TY, but it kinda also goes to show like just cause chalk hits doesn't mean that you have to have it to necessarily win because he was one of the more popular guys in the entire tournament and had a crazy good game.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, I won with a 217 out of 240,000 teams. And if I, you know, if I'd have gone Dante Moncrief up to T.Y. Hilton, I would have to come down 2,100 on one of the other big receivers, but I'm sure, I'm sure there was another 40 points to be scored there. And, uh, and still have just like a very believable lineup, like what you were saying earlier. So it's, you know, it's interesting out of 240K lineups, like how far you can be from that perfect, yet also believable, buildable lineup that still win.
0: Yeah, you're right. Because if you went to TY and maybe brought one of those down to Jarvis Landry or something like that, like you probably would have still been there, you know, potentially as well. But that's the kind of cool thing. And I think it's something that I talk about a lot on the content that I do. Is and, and that's where Results DB kind of can can help you is uh, to learn by looking back at previous weeks and and previous builds and and take something from that and uh and I I think that's something that we can do you know kind of looking at your lineups and, and other lineups so certainly hope you know everybody uses that tool um moving forward uh let's talk a little bit you know DFS talk a little roto grinders I mean you. Uh, have we just came up on what I think seven years this past year uh, of running RG, yeah. and um, crazy. it is it's 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 really crazy to kind of see where we are and you know the growth that we've had, but also you know the how the industry is really continues to evolve and change from where we started. I mean, there was that screenshot of when we first got rolling, and there was. Uh, seemingly like 12 daily fantasy <laughs> sites that we were, we were promoting at the time. And now we're down to about four, or maybe five. Um, I mean, did you expect this sort of consolidation over time? Um, is, is that something that, that you kind of expected to see? And, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on just like where we are, you know, seven years after, you know, having this idea and implementing it with, uh, Cam and Riley?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to think about over the course of 7 years, you know, even even remembering back to like what I thought, where I thought things were going. You know, every everything was just uh, you know, a very slow start in the beginning and we just you know all of us, all of us knew it was going somewhere and the tournaments and having these big prize pools were going to take us there, but everything was so small. We we didn't know how long it was going to take. We just knew we were on the right path. And then, uh, you know, when DraftKings came in, started spending a lot of money, and FanDuel responded, spending a lot of money. That's when, you know, Roto-Grinders and the whole industry really took off on a rocket ship, hockey stick growth. Um, You know, we were and we were very acquisition-focused. Like, And by that, I mean referring players to the gaming sites, that we would just, uh, we do what we do, provide as good of content as we can, uh, work with the best players, and... um, but you know our our business was pretty much referring players to the sites and then it was really the uh you know the the day that the attorney general in New York took his action against sandal and DraftKings was kind of the day that, that that rocket ship growth ended and and led us to where we are today where there's a lot of consolidation uh you know for a year there wasn't a lot of investments being made in the industry um but there was good legal battles being fought and won and You know, now that I think the consolidation phase may even be over. FanDuel and DraftKings merger didn't go through. There's not a lot of sites left to roll up, but there are new sites coming in. And, you know, we just saw Patty Power Betfair, you know, make a really big deal for Jeremy Levine's draft app, which I think is a strong signal for the industry that, you know, maybe there is growth coming again, but not just in a salary cap competitor to FanDuel DraftKings, but in, in new formats and smaller formats. So, yeah, with salary cap, we've gone very much to being focused on premium content today, which is the change I think is, you know, very obvious on the site when you go to the front page. We'll have, you know, lots of premium content in prime spots. And, you know, three, four years ago, you wouldn't, you you would barely have seen that
0: is is that like um, a is that just something that is the evolution of the market in general like FanDuel and DraftKings are and and even Draft now are you know have the ability to spend so much in their own player acquisition that you know it's it's harder to you know steer players there than it used to and that you know the you know the monetization and growth of a company has to change is is that is that an accurate yeah, statement? Yeah, there
1: is. I think I think that there is a big piece of that. It's you know the market has matured for salary cap. There's still plenty of growth, plenty of new players to be had, but you know nothing like what we've seen in the past, in my opinion. So, you know, as the game matures and as people become better, there's a higher demand for premium content to help people on that path of becoming a better player. So. Yeah, we're serving a market now that's the avid players that are willing to pay for premium content to help them find an edge, and there's less players to that we can reach to send to FanDuel and DraftKings than what there was in, you know, 2015. Um, but, at the, you know, at the same time, with sites like Draft and new sites popping up, I still think there will be... Uh, you know some some of the referral business that that we've always been, and, and reasons to have free content, and, and, and the types of promotions we started with. But yeah, there's there's definitely a, a focus shift to premium content for FanDuel and DraftKings.
0: Yeah, and and I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of development we see down the road in terms of tools. And you know we've uh, we've shown a lot of commitment to that, and. You know, uh, I, it's one thing that I'm excited about that, that we've done. I'm also wondering, like, is there going to be a time where, you know, some APIs open within these? Because let's face it, I mean, you're also hamstrung in terms of what you can and can't do on the tool side of things. Um, because you've got data issues, scraping issues, like you, you're you not allowed to do that. At, at You know, there's certain restrictions on, on what you can and can't do. I mean, do you think the sites are going to be more open on that front down the road? Do you think they're going to continue to be... Guarded. Um, I mean, do you have a, a, a feeling on how, you know, that side of things to, you know, allow outsiders like Roto-Grinders and other, you know, tool-based companies out there to build things that integrate yeah. within the sites a little bit more than they currently do?
1: Yeah, I do think it's coming. I think that it was in the plans in back in 2015. Um, I'd, I'd had some talks with DraftKings about... You know how the API should work. Uh, you know the good thing about the API is that it's it's a two way handshake, so the user is always prompted and and can say yes, I'll give Roto Grinders access to X Y Z so that they can use so that they can build this tool or show me my data for this tool. Um, I think we were going to get there in 2015, and then at, again after Schneiderman, after the New York AG took his action all of that stuff just went on a total halt and they became very much focused on consumer protection and just privacy and just making sure they had everything completely locked up in their terms of service. And I think now that that is, that they're able to to loosen that and that they've gotten, that they've taken care of the things that they need to take care of, that we should be able to slowly start innovating again. Um, you know, it's. It's. I think that it's only a good thing for everybody if the user knows exactly what data they're sharing and why, and we know what we can get and we can build tools for it. Like it's just going to be a better situation for everybody. You know, easily track your bankroll without having to download your spreadsheets and your CSVs and upload them to roto grinders like you do now. Um, easily build lineups on our lineup HQ and then actually choose what contents you want to put them into that would from be lineup all. HQ that would
0: be great. instead
1: of, yeah. Instead of then going through the upload, download process. Um, so yeah, I think all those are coming and, you know, the best part will be for mobile when you can quickly build lineups on one app and quickly put them into your DraftKings app.
0: Yeah. I, I hope we get there sooner rather than later. And I actually think that like, uh, there's advantages for companies to do this where like you said in the past maybe they looked at it from a privacy issue but i think you know outside innovation and allowing other companies to to provide that cuz let's face it they have their own you know resource issues they can only do so much themselves but if you open things up to other companies whether it's it's us or fantasy labs or whomever i, I think it's it's just going to make a better user product so I I hope that some of those conversations are being had because I agree I think it's it's kind of the next frontier in terms of tools uh let's talk about the next frontier in terms of the games themselves though here Cal because we've seen a big change this season um in the structure of games um we've seen games taken out we've seen own you know focuses on smaller slates and and we've seen some you know outspoken you know dfs players uh, about some of these changes and you know i've certainly been a part of that at times where i feel like there's less concentration on building compelling fantasy games as much as there is you know just trying to run as many games as they possibly can and i realize they're they their businesses they're out to make money they're out to garner profit like i understand that i get that but I also feel like this is, you know, at some point in time, you're going to kind of the pendulum's going to swing too far, and it's going to potentially alienate a lot of players. a lot of those players are part of our community. Some of the more high volume guys. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on on some of that movement that we're seeing, and um, yeah, and like what what the future might hold on that front?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know the reality is the the sites are trying to figure out how to run viable businesses, and each passing day, where they're not viable businesses, they have to take more and more actions to get there. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm very bullish on them getting there. I think that that this is a game that people are going to want to play and are going to want to continue playing. It's fun. Um, they're building out new game types. They're trying to find a broader audience, trying to find games that appeal to more players. I think that in the process of doing that, that they're trying to reach a more casual player. So they may not care as much about alienating a top player, someone who is pulling a profit out of this site. Um, I think a lot of the outcry we've seen is from the profitable guys. They know that these these rake increases affect them directly. Um, I think we'll see
0: I mean, do
1: they you are think so? they are like it's noticeable that they are keeping the rake increases in games that are fifty thirty dollars or lower, so the higher stake stuff it doesn't really affect the common player, the average player. Um, that, that's where the rake is increasing and not in the high stakes stuff where you have a more rake sensitive player. But, you know, if you're a, if you're a rake sensitive player and you're playing in the smaller games, you know, you have to, I think you got to be aware of two things. One, the sites aren't making any money yet. They're still losing money. And two, most of the people that you're up against are not rake conscious. Um, they, they're, they're more playing for fun.
0: Yeah, and and I think it's and I get that side of it. And my biggest my and I've let them know. I've asked them about it on on podcasts we've done in the past. Is is I just feel like there should be more awareness for even those players to to have you know easy knowledge of of what fees they are paying on a plane on it or paying on a game. Um, you know, we've got our rate calculator, yeah. which is tremendous. Like I, I'm glad that they allow us to offer that. Like they could easily say no, you can't do that. So I give them credit for that. But we're also talking about a fraction of the people who are playing the games, you know, have that and the majority are not doing the math in their head. And I just don't see drawback. Like I, I if you want to in- increase your fees, that's fine, but let's have it, you know, up front and available for all players to kind of see what it is. And if it doesn't bother them, then no problem. But you know, I don't I don't feel yeah. like they're hiding it. I just don't I feel like it could be um, I totally, I, I totally think that's fair. And honestly, like I've been using our extension for so long,
1: our our, yeah. our extensions to show the rake right in the lobby that, so, you know, I don't even think about that, that most people don't see it. Um, so yeah, I do. I would, I would have no problem. I would support them, you know, putting the rake, putting more details in there. And I also don't think that it would affect their business at all, because yeah. I don't think that you're going to make casual players start carrying Nope about the rake. I think people that care about the rake are going to are going to, to do the math and think about it and think about what it takes for them to be profitable, but that the majority of people are not going to do that. And, you know, I've seen that all the way back to poker days where a site, I remember a site in poker, I think it was called World Poker Exchange, started up an entirely rake-free site. And it was, Maybe this was two thousand and six and they were on the cover of Card Player Magazine and you know, everybody in my community thought it was a big deal and that it was gonna change poker. And then, you know, the reality was all the sharks went there and, and traded their money back and forth for a while and uh, it quickly died off. You know, you need what you need is is a fun game that attracts a huge amount of players. And then, you know, a small number of those players are gonna win and most of them are not going to win, but as long as they're having fun and have a chance to win and, and continue doing it and feel like they're growing and getting better or getting something out of it, then you can have a thriving ecosystem. And I I think we'll get there. You know, I'm not sure if we're there yet. I do worry about the rate getting too high. Um or that it might already be too high. But if it is then they'll just have to
0: adjust. And and you know at some point in time, I mean, you've got to think that if the high volume guys don't think it's beatable, they're just going to stop playing. And whether or not the uh, you know the people who are you know comp- doing it for a living or whatnot, they look at it and be like, hey, I I can't beat it. They're going to stop playing. And you would think they would l- be able to see that and be like, okay, well we've reached the tipping point where it's too far. I don't know if we're there yet. I see a lot of people complain. I also still see a lot of people register games. So um, I think yeah. it'll be interesting to see when that threshold is finally crossed. Right. For you know, yeah, the...
1: we know. Like all we know, we know that we know that there's some inflection point, and it, yeah. that point probably changes at each at each buying level. And you know, our, our I think our gut reaction is that. They're, they're towing the line. Some people would say they've crossed it, but no, I am i don't know. I, I still see a lot of people playing. So, yeah. you know, it's not something that can quickly be determined, but they do need to figure out the long-term ecosystem. And the longer they operate without turning a profit, the more critical that becomes.
0: Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the future beyond this that aspect. But, um, you know, there's a lot of Potential changes here in the gaming laws um, in this country. I mean, SCOTUS is going to rule on sports betting. I think the hearings start in December, and you know we could have something you know early 2018 that could potentially change the way that you know sports gaming is exists in this country. Uh, how do you think that's going to affect daily fantasy? Do you think that you know the peer-to-peer fantasy game? will feel will, you know, have more of a downswing because of this? Do you think it remains unaffected Do you think that it's something that will, you know, will see hybrid games? Like what's your feeling on, on that front and the potential effects it could have on DFS and kind of the the, the game that, that we are playing today?
1: I think that DFS market is is very established and and real that it's not going anywhere i think that fanduel and DraftKings have such a a big leg up in that market that you know it would be hard for someone like Harris or or betfair to come in and take anything uh from them you know for betfair to create a liquidity driven salary cap game that offers a million dollars to first place you know we're not going to see that happen so i think it I think it puts, you know, FanDuel and DraftKings in a great position for for the changes that are inevitably coming. You know, we've got a bunch of just absolutely stupid laws in this country that we're slowly but surely overturning. Like, I do think sports betting uh, will be legalized in the next few years, at least in a, in a large number of states. You know, it might take longer for that to become an online activity, but... Everything's moving in the right direction. I think FanDuel and DraftKings are, you know, they're very much focused on DFS, but if they also get to take part in those opportunities, they're in a great spot because who wouldn't want to put your team in for the Sunday Million uh, Sunday morning and then right at noon and you know, make a couple of, like, join, the, uh, join a poker tournament called the Sunday Million yeah. where you're playing with all the guys that you're competing against in the... uh in the same fantasy sports tournament. Like, I think that, um, I think it's coming. I think that we'll see, in the meantime, we'll see more, just more variant games that are smaller, lower skill level, but still still fun and still fantasy sports, but that you know, we're we're kind of moving, some of the games we're seeing coming out now are already moving more towards like a simple sports betting type game and, you know, that could just continue. And then at some point, maybe we just have, you know, the ability to bet on a game on the Internet. That would be incredible.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that's something that we should have. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I, I, my feeling is, like, if you're going to over, overturn everything, then let's do it right, right off the bat. And let's face it, technology exists for people to do it. And it should be done. There's models, whether it's Las Vegas, whether it's, uh, you know, in the UK. I know you've you've been over there where, you know, you can do it right on your phone. And, you know, it just feels like if we're going to go down that path, I'd love to see it kind of get done. But I also think the appeal, and, and I think the interesting thing on that front, Cal, is like the big appeal that I've seen with DFS here over the last couple of years is people like to spend a little bit of a, a little bit of money with the potential to win a lot of money. And there's not a lot of structures in sports betting, you know, that you look at that are yeah, spend a little bit point. of money and win a lot of money. And I and I think like there's going to be crazy innovation on that front to con- because they they see where the demand is. Like I don't think I think the demand comes in with like, hey, you know what? This is gives me an all-day sweat, and who knows? I could be like Cal Spears and win a million dollars for a $20 entry <laughs> where when you're betting sports, unless you're hitting a 30-team parlay, and that might not even be enough, uh, good luck. So I think there there's going to be a huge hybrid of um, of games and innovations that kind of follow that format because I think that's... A huge appeal to what we have going on in DFS. I mean, heck, you look at opening day NBA. This is a perfect example. Opening day NBA, both sites have $1 million contests, and it's a two-game slate, (laughs) okay? Uh, And they're, what, $4 and $3 buy-ins with first place paying like 200 I mean, from a game standpoint, it's not the most compelling game out there. You only got four teams to choose from. You're limited in your number of options but it's low dollar buy-in and people can win incredible life-changing money and i think that it'll be interesting to see how those games are formulated and who knows you know uh, maybe dfs sites can do that better than you know the the companies that have really kind of had this uh, this same formula with sports betting over the years and and that's something that i'm kind of excited to see in the next like 5 to 10 years to see what they yeah, come up with yeah that's a
1: that's a really strong point. And if you think about what they're doing now with different slates, where um, you know, they're already figuring out how to present this to the user, where you're not just playing salary cap. We have a ton of games you can play. And you know, how does the user find them, and how do they play them, and how do you teach them how to play them? Uh, they, they definitely would have a, an enormous edge on, on somebody who's, who's not already doing this, this testing and offering the kind of things that they are now. And yeah, I mean those, those games sound fun. Like I think you're right that there's a lot of innovation coming if if uh, things go our way.
0: Yeah, and I and I think like the peer versus peer aspect is something that is still very desirable for people. And I think that's the one thing where you know uh, I I love to see kind of integrated into it. you know I get into this back and forth with Perdom all the time about skillfulness of sports betting versus DFS and whatnot. And I always go back to the, you know, it's me versus you, you know, that's the one thing that I like where it's not necessarily a house banked game, which, you know, maybe those things, you know, will come through over time. And we're already seeing some of them even in fantasy. But I also feel like as a user, you feel like, you know what, you're matching wits versus somebody else, not versus built in edge, potentially for, you know, the house. So I don't know, it's an exciting, it's an exciting time, and I know that, you know, we both will be watching that closely to see what happens, but I do think there will be, I don't say ramifications, but I think it is going to help even, it's going to shape even what we see and what we do today, so throw that out there.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more.
0: Well, he is Cal Spears, uh, he is the CEO of this very company, uh, that you are listening to this podcast on, and, uh. Hey, man, it's good to kind of catch up with you over, you know, the podcast. You know, we talk all the time, but not everybody gets to hear it. But a million dollars, incredible. Um, When I, uh, next time I make it to Nashville, um, you're getting the Camus, okay? Because I missed out on the celebratory Camus, and I'm very disappointed at that. Like, that's literally like my favorite thing in life. And I saw that you got to indulge in it and I didn't even get to enjoy. So, uh, next time it's your tab, I'm buying some Camus on it.
1: Deal. Oh, the Camus. The Camus the was incredible. Sunday night.
0: Uh, man, I'm so next good. one's on me. <laughs> next one's on you all right Cal thanks so much for the time and uh hey good luck uh, the rest of the season I'm sure hey you got a live final ticket out of it too right you get to you you haven't you haven't won a live final yet so you've been to a zillion of them yeah at least you're going back you know what Miami on draft oh yeah
1: I've still got plenty of goals and now you know more more motivation to get there
0: and more bankroll as well which certainly doesn't hurt so thanks a lot Cal uh we'll chat again down the road thanks buddy yeah thanks Dan The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium unleaded gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease.
1: Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the...